Well, welcome, New Hope family. We are glad you joined us as we continue in our series on freedom. What a great month to celebrate freedom, and I get it. I get it. None of us feel especially free in this whole COVID pandemic, but I have great news. I don't know if you caught it. It came out early in the news this morning. There's a new vote coming out, and each one of us, if you're an American citizen, you have the opportunity to opt out of the rest of 2020. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. They've decided that we're all tired of it. We're sick of it. We're over it. None of us love it. None of us want to be a part of it. We're ready to kick 2020 to the curb. So coming up, just vote your conscience and you can opt right out of the rest of 2020. Go right on to January of 2021. Don't worry, the scientists, they'll figure out the weather thing later. But right now, we all want out. (laughs) Can I get an amen? Well, folks, I don't know. A couple of weeks ago, I kind of gave these, uh, these folks that are part of this whole cancel culture. You've heard about it in the news or on social media. You know, the, the cancel culture. If, if, if an organization or a business or a celebrity or, or even a friend or, or even a church does something that you don't agree with, you just cancel them out of your life. You, you hit delete. You, you unfriend them. You, you have nothing more to do with them. You, you kick them to the curb or you, they are dead to you, you know, and I, I kind of gave him a hard time, but, but to be honest, if 2020 gets any worse, I may join them. I am sick and tired of 2020, and the list is long. The things that are driving me crazy may be the exact things that are driving you crazy, and you may have your own list with even more things on there. I get it. I, I, I want to just cut things out of my life that I don't like, just end things in my life that are causing me struggle or strife or making my life more difficult, things that I don't agree with or, or that they don't agree with me, and they don't, they don't share my feelings. So I just want to chop it right out and, and move on, call it a mulligan and just move on. Now what if, what if all this is going on and, and you, you fill in the blanks from, from COVID to unemployment to physical ailments to strife in the family and strife among friends and even strife in the church, all the things that are going on, what if Those things didn't just happen by accident. What if God actually put them in place, some of those things, allowed those things to happen to teach us something? Now, I know what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, pastor, we've heard that all before. You've talked about it. We've all preached about it and read about it in the Bible. There are certain lessons that can only be learned in the valleys of life. In fact, uh, Pastor Al just talked about that through the deep, hard valleys. That's where the deep, hard lessons of life are learned. We get that. We know that. We still don't like that. But I'm, I'm talking about something even more than that. What if this time is not about you? It's not even about me and the lessons that God wants to teach us. What if God is allowing this to happen for a very specific reason? Yes, of course, there are lessons that you and I need to learn and we need to grow in our faith, no question. But even beyond that, what if God is allowing this to reach a world that doesn't yet know him? What if God has a purpose in all of this so that, so that his glory would be made known, that his fame would be made known? Now, you and I, we love it when God blesses us. We'll give testimony to those blessings all day long. We'll raise our hand in church and say, folks, let me tell you what God did for me this week. But what about when God gives you a hard lesson? Are we willing to give glory to God, to testify to God's goodness and what he taught us and led us through, even in the hard lessons? 
This is exactly what I believe God's trying to do in and through us through a lot of what's going on right now. The, the, the passage we're going to read is, very, is about a time in the history that is not that different from our time right now. We're going to go all the way back to the book of 2 Corinthians. And before we read the text, let me give you a little backstory. 2 Corinthians, written by Paul, you remember uh, the Corinthians lived in a city called... Corinth, obviously, and, and the city Corinth was a big city. It was a port city. It was an important city. It was a wealthy city. So, of course, this little church, it started probably not too different from, from how we celebrated worship last night. If you were here or, or maybe you're watching online and you, you heard about it, I encourage you to come next Saturday. It was a blast. People brought their own chairs, their own cold drinks. God blessed us with plenty of shade, a nice breeze. He held back the rain. It was a great time for everybody. So probably this church in Corinth started very similarly to that. Paul and a couple guys and gals gathered around on the grass, just opening the scripture, singing a couple of hymns, and talking about Jesus. That's probably how this church started. Well, a lot of time has passed, and it looked nothing like that at this point. This is a big church. If the city was big, the church was big. If the city was wealthy, the church was just as wealthy. And they were important. And they were very much aware of their own importance. You know, big churches, wealthy churches, they're different than you and me. They have different expectations for how they present themselves. They have different expectations for how other people view them. They have different expectations for how their pastors present themselves and present the gospel. They're slick. <laughs> they're good looking. They speak with power. And they drive big cars or jets. <laughs> and this is the kind of church Corinth would. And this is what they were saying. We want a pastor like that. Paul, you were fine as a planter. Your theology helped us get our start. But now we want one of those slick, and I'll let you fill in your own blank on the televangelist of choice. I don't need to name names here, but you're picturing in your head what these guys look like. And this is what that church in Corinth wanted. This is how they said, our friends, our neighbors, the rest of the people here in Corinth, they're not going to see the power of God unless we're slick and we're professional and we, we have signs and wonders and miracles. That's how the world is going to see the power of God. And God was giving an answer through through Paul that was very different from what they expected and also very different from what they wanted. He said, no, just the opposite. God's power is not best revealed through slick and expensive and, and fancy and powerful and, and signs and wonders and miracles. All that, yes, that comes from God, but that's not how we see God's power. God spoke through Paul and said, no, we're going to see God's power through your weakness. Through a bunch of cracked pots. Let's open up the God's word and see exactly how he put it and understand exactly what it looks like to be free even when we are under pressure. How we can have true godly freedom in, even when we are under pressure. Look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm going to start in verse 7. I'm going to read the whole text and then we're going to kind of pull it apart as always. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 7 says, But... In fact, let me just remind you guys, sorry, little, little public service announcement. If you haven't downloaded the, uh, the version, the Bible app on your phone, go ahead and do that today or even right now if you want to. Um, all of our sermon notes, the sermon text, everything is right there in that app. It's all free. You can even take notes if you want to and save the notes. Uh, that's just one more way to, to engage here in the, in the sermon. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, 
but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Verse 11, for we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Jump all the way to verse 16. Therefore, We do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Okay, that's the passage. This is Paul's, what he's talking about. Let's start with number one, his premise. The the entire premise of his argument is encapsulated right there in verse number seven. And there's three ideas we need to understand. The the treasure, the jar of clay, and the show. Let's start with the the jar of clay. Now, you know what a a jar of clay is? You kind of get the picture. You may even have some at home. In the ancient world, in biblical times, there was plenty that you would use a jar of clay for in your home. None of those things would be to hold treasure. It would have been to hold grain. It would have been to hold wheat. Maybe on some occasions to hold wine. In the bedroom, it might be used to hold really nasty stuff that you dumped out first thing in the morning. That's what you used a clay pot for. It was not fancy. The Greeks had fancy pots or vases, they called it. You may have seen some some images with beautiful paintings of Greek mythology or Greek athletics or, or whatever. Those were beautiful vases. That's a completely different word. This word meant the simplest, the cheapest, the, the most readily available thing. Anyone had one, and you probably had two or three in your home. This is the most basic thing. But in this most basic, most easily found, everyone had one kind of container or vessel God puts a treasure. Now, what is a treasure? We didn't take time to read it, but verses 1 through 6 kind of outline what this treasure is. But, but, but here it is. The power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The most incredible gift that any of the Corinthians and any of us have ever received is put in a plain, simple, cheap, easily accessible, found on any uh, uh, Walmart shelf kind of vessel that's where this treasure is now what is this treasure help me a little bit and and our our friends at home you can you can you can shout it out and and we won't hear you but god will think back to when you found that treasure for the first time where were you was it summer camp was it sunday school was it at the dinner table with your mom or your dad or your grandma was it by yourself in a hotel room you just pulled out the Bible out of the shelf and, and started reading? Where did you find that treasure? How many years ago was it for you? We, we threw out that same question last night to our folks that came to the outside service. We, we, had, we had some saying a few years and four years. We had one saying 77 years ago. We celebrated that because we remembered that, that treasure. That is why we're here. That's why you're sitting here. You're not here for the show. You're here for Jesus, that treasure that is in you. That is what makes your vessel special. And then we have the show. Let me read that passage one more time. I'm going to read it to you like the Corinthians would have read it. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and from us. Is that how it says in the Bible? No, thank you, Jimmy. Excellent. Jimmy, help. Power is from God and not from us. Well, the Corinthians, they were all about the show, weren't they? 
They're all about the show. Yeah, it's good this treasure is in us, but this treasure is in us. Now, there are clay pots, and then there are clay pots. And they might have, they might have scratched out some nice little uh, designs in their clay pot, and they would have slimmed out their clay pot, and they would have put a fancy wig on their clay pot. They would have, they would have thought it's all about the clay pot. Yeah, God, your treasure is valuable, but, you know, I'm kind of I'm almost just as valuable because your treasure is in me. And they love the show. And Paul's saying, no, it is not about the show. And if it is, it's about the show of God's power through you. Here's the beauty of a clay pot. When you put that light, when you put that power inside the clay pot, the only way for that light to escape, you know the deal, is through the cracks in that clay pot. We got any cracked pots here? Through those cracks, that's how God's glory, his light, his power escapes. You remember the story in the Old Testament, Gideon? Uh, Great story. Take time to read it. All kinds of stories about how Gideon was greatly undermanned on purpose. That was God's purpose. So that God's glory could be shown. At one point, he says, okay, I want you to defeat the enemy. Gideon says, there's no way we can defeat the enemy. There's too many of them. There's too few of us. He says, no, no, here's how we're going to do it. I need everyone to grab a clay pot. You see where this is going. They grab their clay pot. He says, take a torch. Everyone, you put a torch inside your clay pot. Sneak all around the enemy. Stand all around them in a big circle. And when the trumpet blows, crack that pot and the light will be released. They do this and the enemy is so confused. They're scared to death. They're all around us. They start running into each other, killing each other. And God has another victory. And not until that pot is cracked does the light, does the power of God release and show God's glory. And that's exactly what God is doing through a bunch of cracked pots right here in Cape Coral. Let's keep going. Number two, it's time for real talk. It's time for the red table. Now, I'm not pushing uh, some kind of YouTube show with uh, Jada Pinkett Smith or Will Smith, her husband. But I do love the idea. I've never seen it. I just want, I want that uh, clear on the camera. I have never seen the show. But I love the idea of it. The idea is she sets up this red table, and anyone that comes to the table knows at that table it's time for real talk. No more lies, no more baloney, no more, well, fill in the word, but we're going to talk real talk, truth talk. It won't be warm and fuzzy. It's going to be hard and painful, but at this table, we talk truth. Here's the truth of God's word. Let me read verses 8 and 9. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. I don't care who you are. In this time, at the very least in these last three or four or five months, you are feeling persecuted, perplexed, hard-pressed, and struck down. It hurts. It's painful. We would do anything to get out of this. But if you look at the second half of every single one of those four points, we see that we are knocked out, but we are knocked, we're knocked down, but not knocked out. That is not the last word. God has the last word on that. That word crush, the very first word, means to, to close in so much and to press in so much that even close in our heart, our heart would stop beating or our heart would stop feeling. God says, no, I will stop this before you are unable to feel or love or to give love anymore. I will stop it before that. Second, the word despair means to say, there is no way out. I, I am despairing. I have given up hope because I see no more exit. God says, no, you will not despair. I will stop the pain. I will stop the pandemic. I will stop the hurt before you despair. 
despair and give up. Number three, you are abandoned. Abandoned, obviously, in English means what it means in Greek, to be left alone either by yourself or left alone with the few resources that you have that are clearly not enough. And so God says, no, I will never let it come to that where you are left all alone, either physically, personally, or even with your resources. And then number four, you will never be destroyed. You will be struck down. You will be knocked down, but you will never be knocked out. This is what God's promise is. It's not pretty. It's not fun. None of us signed up for this. But this is exactly what God's saying. Even in this, he has a plan. Here's the deal. When we are squeezed, when we are squeezed, something comes out. I'll give you an example. In Seville, Spain, where we used to live, the, trees are, the streets are lined with beautiful orange trees. In season, it's a beautiful sight. You even smell the oranges as you're walking through this 3,000-year-old beautiful city. The trees are bright green. The oranges are humongous, and they're bright, bright orange. All you want to do is grab one. If you were to grab one off the tree before the police caught you and slice it open and squeeze it and take a big sip, you would find that you just had a sip of bitter orange juice. Not at all what you were hoping for and certainly not at all what you were expecting. Why do they plant bitter oranges? Well, number one, they, they, ha they hang on the tree longer than normal oranges. And number two, they don't want people to pick them. <laughs> if they pick them, they'll only pick them once because they'll realize this is terrible. Here's the deal. A lot of times it's the same for you and me. When the world is squeezing us, when the world is pressuring us, when we're perplexed and, 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 in, and almost in despair and almost feeling abandoned, almost feeling destroyed, we're squeezed. Something's going to come out. What should come out? Jesus juice. What does come out? Bitter juice, sour juice, ugly juice, giving up juice, no different than the world juice. What if God was allowing some of this squeezing and pressure and pushing and pulling to squeeze us so that Jesus' juice started flowing throughout Cape Coral? That was his plan. Sometimes I bless you so that my blessings flow through you. Sometimes I squeeze you so that the Jesus juice flows out of you. Either way, it's a good thing because Jesus gets spread out through the neighborhood, throughout the community, throughout your workspace. But instead of, of squeezing out Jesus juice, you're squeezing out the exact same bitter, sour, ugly juice that they can get from your other neighbor or your other neighbor or your other neighbor that don't even know Jesus. I didn't sign up for this. I signed up for the good times. God, if you want to bless me, I'll talk about that all day long. But don't squeeze me because there's no telling what might come out. Number three, passion is power. Let me read verses 10 and 11. We carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Let me jump all the way to verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Passion is power. Look back at verse uh, 10 one more time. We carry around in our body the death of Jesus. That's an interesting word. In the Bible, you remember it's written in Greek. There's, there's a couple words for death. The other word, not, not this one, the other word for death is found 45 times in the Bible. And it means death. To, to cease from existing, to stop breathing, stop living, to, to die, right? Only once in the entire Bible do we read this word, necrosine. 
That's the word. Not that you need to memorize it, but that's the word here. It's the only time we read it. And this word actually doesn't mean actual death, like the final point. It means the process of dying. The slow, think about Jesus' death on the cross. The slow, painful, sacrificial process of dying. That's what this word means. Why would God say that we carry around in us the slow, painful, sacrificial process of dying in our bodies so that Jesus may be exalted? Why would would God do that? I think our Catholic friends could help us with this. Have you ever seen a Catholic cross maybe in a Catholic church or, or some of our Catholic friends wear a Catholic cross? Who's on the cross? Jesus, thank you, good answer. Remember, guys, if you're in church and the preacher asks a question, the answer is always Jesus. Thank you, Pastor. So, Jesus on the cross, they celebrate the passion of Christ, the sacrifice of Jesus, the suffering of Christ. Excellent, great theology. We evangelicals, if you'll notice our cross, Jesus is not there because we emphasize, we celebrate the triumphal, the resurrected, the, the emancipated Jesus who's now seated at the right hand of God. So, so two different angles of the same story, but I think they've got a good idea here. We miss often the idea that in the sacrifice of Christ, in that slow, painful, sacrificial process of dying, we understand more about Jesus and what it means. But here's the deal. God, uh, the Corinthians were focused on the power being through signs and wonder and, and, and having everything in order and having the right clothes and the right attitude and the right car and, the, and how you present yourself. That's how we present God's power. And Paul and God, of course, were saying just the opposite. No, God's power is best presented in our weakness, that slow and sometimes painful and always sacrificial process of dying. I must die that Christ can live in others. I must minimize so that Christ can be exalted in my family, in my community, in my church. Boy, we didn't sign up for this, did we? Let's keep going. God's word says there in verse 16, we lose heart or we faint. That's an outward, outward expression, an outward experience due to an inward illness but the Bible says that we are being renewed. And that word renewed is different. In English, it means just to make new again. In the Greek, it's an even better term. It means to, to move up to the next level or the next stage, to, to develop, even to improve. So God's saying even as we are dying with Christ in this slow, painful, and sacrificial process of dying, even in that, God is, is moving us up to the next level, the next stage. He is improving us. He is developing us every single day in that process. Don't miss it, folks. This process is going on all around us and even in us is part of that process. Don't wish it away or rush through it. God wants to be glorified in it. Two, two more ideas. Verse number four, we have freedom from anxiety. Verse 17, let me read it for us. Freedom from anxiety. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory. So, so let's focus on that word troubles. Uh, the last Greek word of the day, sorry, it's thlepsis is a good one for you. Anytime you can start a word with TH, that's a fun one. Thlepsis is the word, and it means uh, to, to, to press in or, or to squeeze in such a way that you would hem someone in or pressure them, causing anxiety. So let me have all the claustrophobics in the room. Uh, attention just for one moment. You're, you're walking towards an elevator. <clears throat> I know. 
an elevator. <laughs> this is a tough one for a claustrophobic. You hit the button, you want to go down. You're going down, but you're going down 29 floors straight down into the Earth's core. With every floor, the walls move in an inch. Oh, and by the way, halfway down, the lights turn off. Did I get your attention? Claustrophobics, did I lose you? <laughs> Are you running out the door to get some fresh air? This is what the picture is. That anxiety level is rising in us. That those troubles, because I'm being hemmed in, I'm being pressured in, I can't get out, I don't have enough air, I don't have enough of what it takes, I don't have enough strength. I, I'm not enough, I don't, I'm not enough to do this, I'm not enough to do that. And this, as this anxiety rises in us, we believe we don't have enough. But here's the deal, that anxiety is real. We're not denying the pain or, or, or the reality of that anxiety. What we're saying is we need to put the proper perspective on that reality. For the light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory. Here's the problem. I'm talking to a bunch of Americans. And we demand immediate gratification. I want what I want and I want it when? Thank you, brothers and sisters. How hard it is for us to have delayed gratification, to put off the answers or, or the solutions or, or the changes that we're asking God for. But this is exactly what this process entails. God is asking us to put off that, the eternal, uh, how's he put it, the eternal glory far outweighs all of this pressure and squeezing and, and causing of the Jesus juice to flow out. It is way better than all this, but we must wait for it. And we hate to wait. Folks, this process is hard on all of us. None of us signed up for this. But in this, God can be glorified. You can be transformed. And this world can know Jesus if you will stay with me. If you will stay with Paul and show God's power, not through strength, but rather through weakness. And finally, number five, verse 18. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary. Two different ideas of looking. Do you see the difference here? Paul and God are saying, we fix our eyes on, we set our eyes on, we focus on our full attention. Every bit of energy, everything we are is on the eternal things, the things that really matter, the things that count, the things that will last beyond me, beyond my death here on earth, the things that count for my kids and my grandkids and this church and the church's grandkids. That is what I focus my attention on. The opposite of that are the seen things. That's a completely different word in the original language. It means to take a uh, a passing glance at, to, to, to kind of look over your shoulder at, to, to look at once and then immediately turn your focus away. Things we don't know anything about, we've seen it, we've heard it once, uh, third generation information, nothing we know about. And here's the problem with you and me. If we don't know the rest of the story, oh, don't worry, <laughs> we can fill it in. We've got all the facts. Oh, facts, schmacks, they're not really facts, but it's how I finish a story in my own head. And within two or three tellings of that story, they become facts. Wait, did I get you on the toes? I stepped step somewhere I shouldn't have stepped? That's how we do, right? We glance at something, a bit of information on social media, a bit of information in the news, a bit of information from friends, a bit of information from others. And, and if we don't have the whole story, we'll just fill in the rest. That's how we do. This is that word seen as opposed to the word fix, your eyes on. 
Folks, we must stop living like the world. We must stop throwing passing glances at God and others and our situation and solutions and possible solutions and all the troubles that we're going through. And we must fix our eyes on that which counts for today, tomorrow, and for all eternity. I'm going to give you a challenge this week. I'm going to ask you to do two things to kind of live this out. What it would look like if we were embracing the pandemic, we were embracing the struggle and the trials we were going through so that God could squeeze us and so that Jesus' juice would flow freely all over the city. Number one, I kind of wanted to say, turn off your TV, turn off your social media, but I'm a nice pastor and so I'm not going to be that extreme. What I'm asking you to do is this. If you do watch the news, and I don't care what color it is or which numbers or letters it is, whatever news you watch, whatever it is, however many minutes you watch that news, you spend the same number of minutes reading God's word. So you click on, um, you fill in the letters of the news station you watch, and you watch 27 minutes worth of news. I'd like to challenge you to spend 27 minutes in God's word this week. Second challenge is this. It's impossible to not talk about what's going on in the world today. I don't care where you go, friends, neighbors, post office, over the neighborhood fence, wherever you are, we talk about all that's going on. I want to challenge you that rather than talk about all of the bad, all of the negatives, all the things we hate and wish we could cancel out of our lives, I want you to talk about things that lift others up, that proclaim the name of Jesus, that that give people hope, because there's plenty of hope right here. And if you've forgotten where that hope is, open your Bible, talk to me, we'll find hope together, and start spewing that. As you are squeezed, let more Jesus juice flow out of you. That is a challenge for this week. Who's in? Let's pray. Father God, this is a challenging time, and we're not even out of it. Lord, If we were to believe all the news channels, we would think we're just beginning. So, we are going to turn our eyes from the news and social media and other people's opinion, and we're going to focus on eternal things. Everything that comes to our mind, we will check and prove against your word. And as we begin being squeezed, we will spew out and and give out and squeeze out more Jesus juice the love, the hope, the future that this world needs. God, we love you and we trust you and we know that you are renewing us, growing us, improving us, developing us, bringing us to a whole new level through all of this. We're trusting you with that, Jesus. Give us the strength to take this step of faith and allow others to see the power of God through our cracked pot. We love you, Jesus. Amen.